<clears throat> Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Neutral Game. Uh, I'm your buddy, Real Soviet Bear, aka Mio, and with me is Colin, aka 6264. Hey folks, good to see you. Uh, and today we're going to talk about single player fighting games or playing video games when you're alone, since we've kind of focused so far on playing fighting games with just people, and I think that is kind of the main way people do play fighting games. You just assume it's a multiplayer mode with uh, single-player stuff tacked on, but mm-hmm. if Street Fighter Five is anything to go by, people actually do want some single-player content as well. Yeah, there's a, you know, obviously fighting games, I think, are, are as, as, as you said, primarily for the, the player versus player, but a lot of fighting games do interesting things with the single-player content that isn't probably going to be the reason you come to the game, but is going to be a reason for you to play more of it than you would otherwise. So, they're worth talking about. Yeah, and the first thing we're going to talk about is fighting game stories, because everybody plays fighting games for the story and the plot. Totally. I, I say love, that I Love that plays blue lore. I, I say that ironically, but I actually do know people who play fighting games just for the story. There are fighting games I can't get into because I think their story is too stupid, but yeah. that's just a like a personal hang-up. Um, generally, yeah, definitely not so much for me. But I I can get into dumb stories. Uh, I can't get into dumb characters or character arcs. That's where I kind of draw the line. Mm. Uh, like the other day, I got told that. Um, the story of Hugo in one of the Street Fighters is that he wants to become a potato or something like that, which is just, just yeah. I don't, I don't understand Capcom sometimes. But anyway, um, if you're playing fighting games for a story, there's two options for you usually. Uh, it's either your standard arcade mode, beat up eight to ten. Uh, CPU-controlled enemies and then just throw in a few cutscenes and, and, and cinematic there. Um, and that's kind of what most fighting games uh, do, since it's the easiest. You know, just um, just make a cutscene and then maybe dialogue in the middle and it's all good and fine. Um, and sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes I remember in Guilty Gear X, when you completed the arcade mode since it didn't have a story mode... You just get a single screenshot, image, artwork, something like that. And it's just up to you to deduce what the outcome of the story was. Um, That's... Did that change? Because when I played... Um, when I played uh, Exert, at least, I don't know if that's the one you meant. Um, when I beat the story mode at the end, there was like a there was like a pretty short, but there was a little cutscene with some character basically setting up the story mode, it felt like. Yeah, that, that's that's Xard. Uh, I was talking about oh, okay. X, which is the oh. 2001 game. Of course, of course, was, my bad. Uh, it was pretty random. Uh, like uh, Soul Bad Guy would get an image where he's walking away from Dizzy after beating her, and it's obviously oh okay he spared her. But then you'd have somebody else posing like fancy with a weapon, and you're just I, I don't know what the outcome of this person's plot was. But mm-hmm. anyway, that's usually when you tack on the arcade mode. Um, in recent years, people either started upgrading that. So when, like you mentioned, XArt, now you have actually dialogue and small cutscenes and this kind of uh, side story that builds up to the main plot. Uh, so there's a bit more effort going into that. Or you have 
uh, NetherRealm, who basically makes the story mode half the game. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a trend a lot of people welcomed, I think. A lot of people praised that with Mortal Kombat 9, even though previous Mortal Kombat's had a really, really heavy story mode. Um, 9 was kind of this mix of it's a serious fighting game, but also it has a really big budget story. Yeah, and the story was pretty, like, it was a pretty satisfying, I think, uh, like, sort of a, a B, well, I'd say C movie, really, just a sort of a cheesy, you know, low-budget kung fu movie was sort of the, the tone of that thing, and it was pretty enjoyable. Uh, yeah, because they did go for, like, a trashy tone, but they did have, you know, actual quality script writers uh, write, it, so you, write it so you didn't really have any, you know, faffing about or just pointless dialogue. It was you know, intentionally cheesy. Mm-hmm. It yeah, was at sure. Le- it was at least on par with the first movie in terms of quality. Yeah, uh, sadly, sadly, the graphics were were too nice, so we didn't get any of that amazing, terrible CG from that first movie. But what can uh, you do? yeah, and and then Realm kind of continued that with uh, Injustice, and then Mortal Kombat X, which was also dubbed Mortal Kombat Kids because you're just following the plot of everybody's children, and then. Uh, they're also doing that with Injustice now. Like they, they really, really bank on the um, single-player content, which is really not that naive of a strategy. You kind of rope people in with this mode that's kind of accessible to everyone, and then you just have them stay for the multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the great ways to, like, if you want to get a friend into fighting games who doesn't normally, like, who, who is, who's like, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to bounce right off it. It's going to be easier to get him into one of these games that has a really meaty single player because then you can at least be like, well, you can you can poke away at the single player and see if you like it, you know. Yeah, and and another that's, thing that's what NetherRealm goes for. Yeah, and another thing NetherRealm does is they have you play with not all characters, but at least the good characters, like the good side, not the evil side. Um, and you just play through their little chapter and then continue on to the next one. Um, and there's quite a few breaks between fights. I think sometimes there's like even like 10 minutes of cutscene before the fight. Um, but in contrast to that, then you have um, stuff like Blaze Blue, which is instead of being a, a C quality movie uh, with fighting, uh, you have a visual novel with fighting. Mm. And, and you have. There's just. Especially as you get later on into the series, I mean, like, you play, um, the, the last one, uh, Central Fiction, and there's just so much, there's a bunch of side stories and stuff, all told, I don't know how many hours of, of story there are in that game, but there's a lot. Uh, when I played Chrono Phantasma, I had the Japanese version, so I just wanted to get the in-game cash you get from watching the story, so I mm-hmm. watched the entire story and fast forward, and it still took like up to ten minutes sometimes before a fight, and that's in fast forward. Jeez, it, there's a lot of reading. Like sometimes you actually forget that you have to fight. Uh huh. Um, and the first one was like kind of um, the first one was kind of like more involved. Like you had more fights, uh, smaller cutscenes, a lot of uh, dialogue options. What you want to do. But then the later ones, I think you have far less options to choose a path. It's kind of more streamlined. 
Yeah, I think by Chrono Phantasma they got rid of the idea of of dialogue options. Uh, Central Fiction had them, and then they got rid of them. So, yeah. Um, and then you have the other extreme, which is my favorite, probably, and just make a giant anime movie. Yeah. Which is Guilty Gear Xard. Um, and it's a tad amazing because when I bought the game, I didn't know that would be the story mode, so I just prepared it. To, you know, play standard issue, Blaze Blue, you know, watch some dialogue fight, watch some dialogue fight, but no, it's actually one uh, fully full feature uh, anime movie. Like, I think it's up to five hours or something. Yeah, and obviously you have, like, like saves in the middle between scenes and stuff. Um, when I when I played that, well, you know, played, um, I also didn't know that, and I fired it up, and I had my controller in hand, and I was like, okay, okay. And now we fight. And now we fight. And it took me a really long time to figure out I could just put down the controller and let it go. Yeah, and, funny. and in the sequel, they actually tell you to put down the controller because there's no fighting. I'm assuming <laughs> they had some complaints about that. <laughs> yeah, and there is, of course, there's an arcade mode in Guilty Gear excerpt if you want to do that. So it's not like they're cheating you out. Oh, uh, yeah, you know. there's the, as they call it, episode mode, which is this build-up to the actual main plot, so you can see what everybody was doing just before the actual story mode started. Yeah. yeah but that, that's as far as, I think, like, story modes go. I mean, I haven't really seen much of anything else. Usually it's either just build up an arcade mode progression or, you know, do something weird with the genre blending. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's mostly standard affair, and... I don't know, like, for, for me in general, the story is usually... For fighting games, like, just whatever, because mm-hmm. I, I, I think fighting games are very uh, character-oriented games. It's kind of like if, if we want a more mainstream example, if you take Overwatch, you know, Overwatch's backstory is, like, nobody really cares. It's more just about the actual characters and their relationships. So if you do care about the, um, the characters and the story... Um... How do you feel about these games where they're like okay let's let's take an example right um if you take Street Fighter 2 and you play everybody's you know like arcade mode run at the end of everybody's run they're the champion and they do their specific thing for being the champion right yeah and then Street Fighter 3 comes out and they're like oh by the way this is the person that actually won um I've always felt like that felt real weird yeah, the, um, I think most fighting games with a tournament mode do that as well. Like Guilty Gear 1, uh, or Guilty Gear X did it as well, because you have this, everybody gets the bounty at the end, um, but then when you get the sequel, it's like, oh no, uh, this person... So how they did it is like three people actually beat up the final boss, and uh, the order was Soul beats uh, Dizzy, and it's like, okay, he spares her but leaves. Um, then Kai uh, gets uh, to Dizzy and just talks to her and leaves, and then Jam gets to Dizzy and just takes her bow as proof that she uh, that she killed her, even though she didn't kill Dizzy, and just get, cashes in the bounty. Mm-hmm. But but everybody else just, you know, oh, they retroactively did not actually win. And it's it's weirder in these situations like like that one. It sounds like um, where none of the runs are canon, right? I it did is that how Soul Bad Guys playthrough ended in the arcade mode is that he yeah. refused to kill Dizzy and all that? Yeah, yeah. He beats oh, okay. her up, but he just leaves. Well, in that case, then I guess it's I guess it's accurate, but like, um... 
Street Fighter Alpha, right? Like, the canon ending is that Ryu and Ken teamed up to beat Bison. In neither oh. Ryu nor Ken's ending does that happen. Oh, yeah, that that's kind of lame. Like, you expect at least, like, one of the endings to reflect what happened. For sure. And, you know, I feel like sometimes, um, like, a lot of the times they make it pretty clear, right? Like, you beat Street Fighter Four with Dan, and his ending is, like, he, he goes back to, like, his dojo, which he had to shut down because he went bankrupt and reopens it and has one student who isn't very interested to be there. And it's like, okay, clearly this is not what really happened, right? Yeah. But then, like, as a as a young man who was not yet fully into fighting games, I played Tekken 4, and I got Yoshimitsu's ending, where he and his, like, his clan of ninja pull off this, like, amazing heist on the main villain, and it's really, on you know, Haihachi, and it's really badass, and I was like, man, that's really cool, and I found out, like, oh, that none of that actually happened. I was like, what? Then why did you... Mm. And I was kind of pissed off. So one, now you remind me, there is one game that actually does this tournament format in an interesting way, um, even though the story mode is really, really dumb, and that's uh, the Roll i5. But each character's story kind of stops when they officially lose the tournament. Uh, So they only make you fight certain key fights. Uh, So it's kind of like if you're playing, say, I don't know, character A, and character A gets to the quarterfinals... You don't play the quarterfinals as character A, you pick up as character B, and then beat character A and then continue. Uh, so when you've finished the story mode, you actually have a canonical winner from everyone's perspective. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's a shame that the story mode is so chaotic because it's really, really hard to follow uh, simply because um, it's uh, non-chronological, so you jump between characters in different parts of uh that kind of like main story timeline mm. and it's not like the events happening are so dramatically different that it's easy to tell when's when things are supposed to be happening it's just yeah. a bunch of people punching each other basically but yeah um if if people don't like story or plot there's also a lot of uh, single player um extras that fighting games like to do um usually I, I like to call all of these things like mission modes um, mm-hmm. which makes them basically um, a variant of the main gameplay. So if you have you know, your standard issue fight where you have to defeat the CPU, uh, mission mode would be either you know, a combo challenge where it's like you have to uh, execute a very specific combo or a uh, survival mode where you um, have one bar of health and that carries over uh, between matches or just you know, weird stuff like... Uh, Okay, you have to beat this character, but the character only takes damage from fireballs and no other move. There's a bunch of of, of stuff like that, and some of them, like, I mean, I've seen some really fun little extras, like, um, actually, sorry, I bring it back to Skullgirls, I know every episode, but Skullgirls has a uh, Easter egg mode you can unlock where it plays like Typing of the Dead. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Where, yeah, like, you, you type to get, like, you type to get a hit, and then like phrases will pop up, and you'll type them, and it will auto combo if you based on your typing. And if you screw up, you'll drop the combo. It's they put a surprising amount of work into it. That that's actually pretty amazing. Um, the most I had to deal with was um, um, like uh, old Guilty Gear's uh, survival mode, which is after X amount of characters, you uh, you beat, you get uh, a chance to buy an upgrade. 
and then that upgrade is something like you have more health, more damage, or you have a special move, mm. um, and stuff like that. So it's kind of like a mix of RPG um, and fighting game. Uh, but there's also one thing which is far less common, mostly because it requires um, a lot more effort. And I'd say Skullgirls might even like fall into that since it changes genres. But you have this old tradition of uh, making a completely new game out of what assets you have. So I don't think Tekken has had this for a while, but I know Tekken 3 had uh, Tekken Force mode, which was a beat-em-up. I think that was in Tekken 4 as well. They dropped it after 4, then. I know they dropped it after a certain time. Mm. Yeah, but it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's basically this um, final fight style beat-em-up mode where you pick a character and then you just um, fight the generic bad guys that have um, weird moves from other characters. Um, and it's pretty, you know, standard issue. Scroll from left to right. Actually, I think... In 3, it was a standard beat-em-up. I think in um, 6, uh, you played as uh, Lars, specifically, and then just, it was like, from the third-person point of view, it was still kind of like a beat-em-up, but more like an action rather than a side-scrolling beat-em-up. Hmm. That sounds pretty neat. I I think, yeah, I messed with a little bit in 4, and it didn't didn't click with me back then, but I barely had a handle on the main game at that time so uh, but have you tried soul caliber's uh, chronicles of the sword i got very far into the uh soul caliber 3 uh yeah. version of that I, can, yeah. I put a lot of time into that yeah i play i, I beat the uh, soul caliber 3 version that was I, I thought it was just like you know a side mode where you play one mission but it was something ridiculous like six or seven hours long I think I, th- I think if you um like you dove into the extra stuff, I mean it, it actually got to like it got to close to twenty hours if you did all the extra side stuff in that. I mean it was really long to the point that it felt like the real single player. You could create a character, you beat enemies to unlock new like parts and fighting styles. It was really elaborate. Yeah, for those who don't know what Soul Calibur's Chronicles of the Sword mode is, it's basically a mix of turn-based strategy and fighting game, where you control several units. Like You, you make your main character, but you also have uh, uh, several support units. And then you send your troops across the map to take uh, over territories, and territories are uh, protected by other units. And then when you fight a unit, uh, you enter your standard issue 1v1 fighting game mode, and you have to defeat them there. And if you defeat them there, your troop is victorious. I'm thinking about it, and I'm not sure if my memories of how long it is are because of all the stuff in it, or because of how bad I was at Soul Calibur back then. <laughs> so, I, I take mean, my, I could take my hour count with a grain of salt. I could be wrong on the hour count as well, because I played it, you know, when Soul Calibur was relatively new. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that was forever ago. But I know it took me more. Uh, it took me longer than beating the single player of Soul Calibur, like the actual story mode. Plus, the actual story mode in Soul Calibur was really hard to get the proper ending for. Did you Uh, have to do, like, the... Didn't have the quick-time events and the cutscenes and stuff? uh, You had to do the quick-time events. You had to not lose a single fight. And then you had to beat up a special secret powered-up character. And if you lost to that special secret character, 
you couldn't fight the final boss, so it would just send you back to the default uh, route, and it was so annoying to get anything from it. Yeah, fun. Fun. Quick, quick time events are terrible. Don't do them for fighting games, please. Please. They're, uh, they're unpleasant. I, I think the most I'll tolerate is Mortal Kombat X, which makes you do um, quick time events, but if you fail them, you just start with less health, I think. You don't actually just fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a quick like, quick little, uh, like, sort of, almost like a, a palate cleanser, really. Just something between fights to sort of mix things up. Yeah. Is more, I think, the idea than, than actually trying to force you to, to prove that you've got the reflexes to hang. Um, yeah. And one last example I wanted to cover, which is kind of a mix of the previous mission mode thing and new story content, but um, uh, Guilty Gear XR's Medal of Millionaire... Um, is a bit of like, um, it's it's basically you have this map like this hex grid map almost uh, where you travel around and fight uh, enemies and each enemy has certain conditions on it like you're told, um, okay this enemy has this much health these many special moves and they give you this much money and then you beat them up to collect money, um, and then you use that money to buy new moves and new upgrades for the character you've started playing, and you just kind of have this little infinite loop until you complete the entire game, which might even be endless, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, Blaze Blue, which is also made by the developers of, of Guilty Gear, has the uh, Grim of Abyss mode, which is pretty much the same thing. So Yeah, yeah. And... Um... Yeah, um, one other thing, obviously, that we want to talk about is also just playing against the CPU, because that's kind of the default mode uh, for fighting games. And we didn't talk about that in previous episodes, because we kind of focused on how do you get better with uh, in a multiplayer space, how you get better versus other people, how to learn fighting games, how to learn how to play against other people. Um, and playing versus the CPU is, uh, in my opinion, a bit of a different beast because uh, skills between fighting a player and the CPU don't necessarily translate with each other. Yeah, I feel like it's actually kind of, I mean, like, I don't mean to scare people off by saying this. This might sound more dramatic than I mean it, but it's actually kind of destructive um, because you will fight against the, the AI and you will be like, oh, I can do this. And when they do this, I should do this. And those will not be true versus players. Those will be bad behaviors you pick up. Uh, yeah, because how fighting game AI usually works is it reads what the uh, what your player input is, so what you're trying to execute, and then, depending on their difficulty, they will either completely ignore responding to it if it's not very easy, or they will have the proper response to it, uh, but the speed at which they do it is um, determined by the difficulty. So the harder it, uh, the difficulty is, they will sometimes just react as you press the button instantly. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you end up like finding holes in their AI to beat them. Like I'm not going to get it exactly right, but versus the final boss of Street Fighter Four, Seth, there was an exploit you could do with most characters where basically you would like backdash jump forward and low sweep and you would hit every time and Seth was so unfair that most people ended up relying on that to beat him and like obviously that's 
that's not going to do anything against a player. That's that's just bad knowledge. So. Yeah, it's, it's like how I remember when I played Mortal Kombat three, and the only way I could beat Shao Kahn was with Sub Zero. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, Mortal Kombat, specifically older Mortal Kombat's are infamous about their AI to the point where the phrase MK Walker was coined to refer to an AI opponent that just walks at you and blocks everything you do. Yeah, it's 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 pretty ridiculous. I know even in the Guilty Gear, um, I j- just to actually illustrate how disruptive it is, uh, I'll actually go to Blaze Blue, where I play a parry character. Mm-hmm. There is no freaking way I can parry a CPU. Like, it's a hopeless cause because there's nothing to read. Yeah, it's just they're either gonna attack or they won't attack. It's just it's only if you can like goad them into doing an attack. But the mentality of executing a parry on a CPU opponent, which has a random chance to do a certain move, versus a player who you're you know hoping you can goad into doing specific things, it's just like playing a completely different character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like no one, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm being unfair, but I feel like no one's really invested a lot of time in trying to make fighting game AI that behaves like people. I mean, like, you know, I don't I don't make video games, and so I really can't talk too much, but like you know, when you're playing versus another person, you're not reading their inputs. You don't have the knowledge of what they're inputting. You watch what they do, and AI just doesn't doesn't that's like that's not even the goal of AI is to seem realistic, so. Yeah, um, I mean, generally AI in fighting games is meant to be filler because if we look at, um, like, arcade fighting games, because most fighting games get ported over from the arcade to um, to consoles, uh, playing against the CPU is just filler time. You put in a quarter and you're playing against the CPU until a human player comes over and enters basically your match to fight you. Um, so it's just to make the filler content entertaining, I guess. But even then, a lot of fighting games now are just relying on you going into training mode instead, and they'll just be all, okay, um, play training mode until somebody else jumps in. You have, you know, 10 minutes of training mode with one 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 quarter. Yeah, and, you know, it's... I can understand why. I certainly think, obviously, the the player versus player is the reason most people come to fighting games and it's it's the thing that the people that come stay um but it would be nice to see more of a, a focus like i actually dropped out of the mortal kombat 9 story mode i thought the story was enjoyable but i got to a fight versus i'm not super familiar with the mortal kombat cast i want to say ermac but i could be wrong um but basically he had a move that was a full screen, no travel time projectile. That was a throw. Oh, that's what I meant. Like, yeah. Basically, just like it, like levitate me and then slam me into the ground. And the AI, the every single time, the second I let off the block bu- block button, would instantly do that move. And I just couldn't, I couldn't literally move. I could block or I could be getting attacked. Um. And I just, like, I was like, I like this story mode, but just fuck this. And I just dropped it and never came back. Yeah, how AI is usually uh, done in video games is if these conditions are met, then do this. And if not, after a certain point, do this. So how how most fighting game AI will will do something is 
if the player is inputting this, depending on difficulty, execute this move if it's that move that they're doing. So like if they're uh, doing, I don't know, a Hadouken and you have a teleport, you have like 20% chance of doing a teleport instantly. And if um, you're playing like on the hardest difficulty, then just it'll be 100% because it's the most optimal rewarding thing to do. And then if the player just does nothing, you'll see a lot of the times in fighting games, the AI will just break. They'll it'll also not do anything. Um, so usually you put a timer on the AI and it'll say, okay, after a certain amount of seconds, um, if the player isn't doing anything, do this. Uh, do one of these things. Um, and that's kind of like the cheapest and most straightforward way you can do it because doing AI in video games in general is just a bunch of smoke and mirrors like doing actual artificial intelligence is you know that's like military level um, budgets that you need for that so you're just you're basically video game AI will always be if this then do this sure I Which have is, seen, however, I want to like take a moment because I have made the blanket statement that AI is bad in fighting games, and that's a little unfair. I can think of a few examples where I've seen people do interesting things, and it's actually three examples where the AI reflects players. Um, the first example is probably the weakest example, which is uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 had DLC where you could fight... Um, basically special AI programmed to act like certain professional fighting game players. They would oh. play their teams and imitate their fighting style. Oh, that that's pretty interesting. Uh, it was, you know, it was a like a flawed execution, but it was neat and it was different. And you could be like, oh no, I can totally I can totally see some shades of, of clockwork in this thing. It's, it's doing some some of that stuff. Um but those ideas are handled way better, I think, in uh, Super Smash Bros. 4 with Amiibo support, which I hate recommending Amiibos, but here we are. And um, Killer Instinct with the Shadow uh, oh, system. I remember that. So the the Super Smash Bros. version is that you have you know Amiibos and you sync them up to your console and then your Amiibo is fighting alongside you and it's an AI. And as you fight alongside it and against it, it starts to kind of imitate your fighting style. Um, and it's it's broad strokes, but, you I mean, like, once you've played with it a bunch, you'll be like, oh, man, yeah, he really does love that move that I use all the time. Or, like, oh, yeah, he really does, like, roll into grab constantly, right? It's, it's sort of broad strokes, but it's interesting. Um, the Killer Instinct Shadows is actually a surprisingly sophisticated system for an AI that learns to imitate you to a point that is kind of unsettling. Um, they did a really good job with that, in my opinion. The, the Yeah, the AI just, you know, yeah, is, is a learning AI that sees what you do and tries to do similar strategies and similar techniques. And it, it can be, like, you can fight your friend's shadow that they worked on creating... And, like, it's obviously not the same as fighting them, but it's like, no, this is totally, like, this is totally an imitation of my friend. I am fighting a parody of my friend right now. And it's yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably the direction um, AI development for fighting games should go, is just kind of gathering all the player data you have and then just uh, funneling it into the game. 
So I, I'd say some something like that would probably be much better than just doing a um, standard issue uh, if then AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think like for for single player fighting games, I mean the reasons to play them are like one because you want to learn more about the story and characters. Two, because you want to just have some fun and screw around. And then three, theoretically, to learn things and get better. And the way AI is right now, it's really bad at that. And I think if you can lean more into this idea of, of the player like data gathering and creating AI based on players, you can start to help more with that last one, right? Where like if you have if I'm fighting a a Hakuman AI that is built to imitate you. It won't be as good as fighting the real you, but it'll at least be like, oh, you're right. Like, Mio uses this one move all the time, and I can learn how to deal with it better. Yeah, uh, it basically creates this kind of... You basically want the CPU to create a risky safe environment. So what I mean by that is the safest environment to practice something is obviously the training mode. But that's not an actual combat scenario. So if you try to execute a combo in a training mode, um, you'll always execute once you learn it because nothing is stopping you from that first move. But if you're fighting the CPU, then you're practicing into how to get the move in while trying not to get hit yourself. And executing a combo under those conditions is much harder than just executing a combo in safe space, even if you can, even if you know all the motions. Uh, you still have to wire your brain so that when you do get an opening, you know how to execute it. That's a big part of it. And right now, like if you learn how to do an opening versus the CPU, you might just happen to learn that CPU's opening as in, oh, it reacts badly to sweeps, whereas in multiplayer, people actually know how to deal with that reliably. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. also the issue of um, like the metagame, I'd say, um, because especially in fighting games, people learn uh, <clears throat> people learn to play characters uh, better the more the game advances. So you might just end up with a CPU that plays it the way the developers envisioned, but not how actual good players play that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are a lot of a lot of like. I mean, I think some of the most dramatic examples would be games like like Marvel vs. Capcom, right? Where it honestly doesn't even feel like the same game between single player and multiplayer. You go into multiplayer and you see the stuff people are doing and you wouldn't even think they were possible. Yeah. Yeah. So Def- that definitely something that um fighting games should explore more. I mean, I, I on the other hand, it's also a big question like um I'll just go back to Overwatch. I know it's not a fighting game, but it's it's pretty popular and it's character-based. Um, there's a big question on how many people actually play versus the CPU in Overwatch. You know, mm-hmm. that that's like, like if you want to learn how to play a character, you're just playing quick play, which is an actual combat scenario. Um, so I think most game companies would just go, yeah, if people want to learn how to play the game, they'll play with other people, not with, you know, the CPU. But because fighting games are more nuanced, I feel that offline mode is more valuable in that case. Like, there's much more execution than actual uh, an actual FPS where you have, like, you know, you click a button, you get an ability, you aim, and you shoot. 
you know, that's kind of like completely different uh, skill set to combo spacing, neutral game, meter management, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a lot. There's a lot more to learn just to get in at a base level with fighting games. It doesn't feel as intuitive and, and obvious as as Overwatch, for instance. And yeah, it's just it's. I feel like, I mean, like, I am not big into the world of of online shooters, but there's not like a culture of of offline solo practice, as far as I'm aware. There aren't a bunch of people going into DE Dust with no people and just snapping shots at crates to practice, right? Yeah, I um, mean, I mean, back in the 1.5. You had pretty sophisticated bots, and those bots carried over to Source and uh, Counter Strike Global Offense. But those that that was back when you know a lot of people had dial up, or you know they played at home to practice and then played in LAN parties for real. Now most of your player base just simply has access to the internet. Yeah. So, like, I mean, part of it is is just the the culture right fighting game players are used to having the training room and there's an expectation that that's where you'll go do your practice yeah um but yeah it would it would be you know yeah yeah go on no go ahead uh well yeah like training room is the area you should go and practice but honestly if i bought a new game and somebody told me oh yeah just you know turn on terrain mode right away be the first thing that you do I'd, I'd feel kind of garbage. I'd be like, no, I want to yeah. play the actual game. And, mm-hmm. like, I'll go to the training mode when I feel like practicing, but when I turn on the game, you know, I want to have fun with the game. Um, and if it's like, oh, just play multiplayer then, uh, if it's a completely new game, then I'll probably get destroyed. So, yeah, so, my so option- how do you, like, when I pick up a new fighting game, right, I'm not good enough at, at, at seeing, like, I guess I don't have the imagination or whatever to go into training mode and see a character's moveset and be like, aha, I see how this character plays. Um, but I'm also not good enough to go online and immediately do that. So that's what single player, a lot of a lot of the times that's what, like, arcade modes are for for me is to take a character in and then the AI puts up enough resistance that I figure out, like, oh, I see, that's what this character does. Yeah, yeah, that's what I usually do as well. I go through arcade mode and just, you know, look at the command list, start executing moves. And then you see the player, uh, the, the the CPU do different moves. Like, if they're the same character, then you're like, oh, I have access to this. And if they're a different character, you see some systemic features, like, you know, a mega super or an instant kill or a burst. And you're like, oh, okay, that's a mechanic I can also use. That's like the universal thing of the game. So you do want mm-hmm. to kind of go into that space and learn uh, things that aren't necessarily go into training mode, input all moves, and then check out which normal move cancels into which normal move. Yeah. It's just, it's really useful for just getting a sense of, of how the game flows and plays. So, yeah. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this up? No, I think that's that's pretty good on on single player. Um, it's it's obviously like it took us this long to get to it because it's not it's not mainly why people play these games. It's not mainly our focus as people who love these games. But you know, it's it's a cool thing. It can can you know to varying degrees depending on the game be a, a good source of entertainment and it's a good way to to learn the learn the ropes. So yeah, well 
yeah, that's it for me as well. So if uh, you all enjoyed the show, um, please leave us a review on iTunes since that's a thing that helps. And if you watch this on YouTube, um, I guess leave a like or a comment or a dislike if we're terrible. It's it's fine either way. Um, mm-hmm. And if you want to add something to the discussion or ask us to cover anything or just send us whatever random words you want, you can find us on Twitter. Um, I'm at MDK. Uh, Roman numeral two, so MDKII, and uh, Colin is uh, actually. What's your handle? I keep forgetting. Mine is at six two six four. That's written out as words S I X T W O S I X F O U R. Yeah, I keep forgetting whether it's all numbers or letters or combo. Yes, indeed. Um, so, yeah, you send us any questions or comments you've got, any, you know, feedback. If you decide you have the best idea for what the next episode should be, these aren't set in stone. We're we're happy to hear it. So, you know, send us your thoughts. Bye-bye, all. Yeah. Peace out, folks. <laughs>